the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. I am Seth Leaps. And as you know, the Democrats are going to be airing a January 6th hearing in prime time tomorrow night because they believe a president standing one and a half miles from the Capitol encouraged insurrection by telling the people one and a half miles from the Capitol to go march peacefully and patriotically to have their voices heard. Heard for what? The same thing nearly every Democrat had been saying for four years, that the election was fraudulent. The same thing that Barbara Boxer sponsored and did in the 2004 election. The same thing that is contemplated and legal under U.S. Code Title Three, Chapter 1, Section 15, a law that has been part of our federal code since the 19th century. Today, a man arrested outside the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh was threatening to kill Justice Kavanaugh. He had a weapon and burglary tools, a handgun and pepper spray, a tactical knife, a hammer, a screwdriver, a crowbar, zip ties, and duct tape. The protests in front of the justice's home is illegal, as was the gun the arrestee had, as it was in California from whence he traveled, as it was to leak the draft opinion that caused the renewed animus at the justices and their homes. The current president has said nothing about those protests or denounced them. The president's press secretary said she hopes the protests, though illegal, remained peaceful. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice does nothing about the protests, as to them, the real threat is showing up to school board meetings while conservative or common sense, which is not illegal. In March of 2020, standing outside the Supreme Court building, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat, New York, shouted to a crowd, quote, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions, close quote. There will be no primetime hearings or overnight hearings or hearings of any kind about that. And Schumer will not be censured by his colleagues or censored by social media. In California yesterday, San Francisco residents recalled their district attorney, Chesa Bodine. Do you know who Chesa's mom was? I'm not going to visit her sins on him, but wait for the rest of the story. Here's the sketch on Chesa's mom, a squib from Wikipedia. Kathy Booting was an American leftist terrorist and convicted of murder. She was a member of the radical left militant organization Weather Underground and was convicted of felony murder for her role in the 1981 Brinks robbery. The robbery resulted in the killing of two Nyack, New York police officers and one security guard and serious injury to another security guard. Bodine was released from prison on parole in 2003 and became an adjunct professor at Columbia University. Of course she did. So who actually raised Chessa, you may ask? Who were his foster parents? Oh, 
none other than Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. Columbia was only too happy to have Miss Bodine, as the University of Illinois was only too happy to have Bill Ayers as a professor, he who bombed the Pentagon and said he wished he did more, just as every college is only too happy to have Angela Davis. Can you now understand maybe just a little bit why some of us happen to think it's important how children are raised or why Plato argued that the two most important questions any society can ask is who teaches the children and what is it they are being taught? Who raised Chessa? Our culture did. Our culture of forgiving, justifying, and rationalizing crime and violence did. A culture of forgiving, justifying, and rationalizing crime and violence if and only if it is and was committed in the name of a political cause. But a political cause if and only if it was a cause of the left or in the name of anti-Americanism. But in the name of anti-Americanism if and only if there was a Republican president. Meanwhile... Exhortations to peaceful and patriotic marching constitute incitement to insurrection. But they constitute incitement to insurrection if and only if they are uttered by a Republican. So back to San Francisco and Chessa as an adult. To borrow from the Wall Street Journal, we have a long way to go to decriminalize poverty and homelessness, Mr. Boudin said as he campaigned for the job of DA in 2019. He vowed, quote, not to prosecute cases involving quality of life crimes, close quote. This would be homeless camps in the streets, prostitution, obstructing sidewalks and public urination, ending cash bail was among his first official acts. And the district attorney's website shows a sharp reduction in felony prosecutions during Mr. Boudin's tenure. Within a year of his being elected, homicides in San Francisco went up 36 percent. Last year, 222 people were wounded or killed by gun violence in the city compared to the year before Budin took office. Motor vehicle theft went up 36 percent, arson 40 percent, larceny 20 percent. These official property crime numbers are likely low, as some victims no longer bother to report crimes they know won't be investigated, prosecuted, or punished. Homelessness and drug use are rampant on San Francisco streets. Shoplifting of less than $950 in goods is now a mere misdemeanor in California. And Walgreens said last year it spent 46 times the chain average on security at its San Francisco stores. Retail theft nevertheless drove five Walgreens locations out of business in the city just last year. How did Ariel Davidson put it? People need maps to navigate areas of high human excrement in San Francisco now. Oh, not to worry. For that, there is policing. It's called the Poop Patrol, and city employees on that squad earn $71,000 a year plus an additional $112,000 in benefits, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. Sure, Budin was ousted yesterday there. But out of about 130,000 votes cast, keep in mind, he still received over 50,000 votes. 50,000 idiots evidently believed Budin just wasn't tried hard enough or Budinism was imperfectly applied, just like every advocate of socialism here says of their cognate philosophies and policies. Now, a lot of those came out of the crescendo to defund the police, which included specifically getting rid of school resource officers, I will remind you, in the name of Black Lives Matter a group that not only turned out to be a financial fraud and hoax on the public, but a fraud and hoax in the name of admitted Marxism. 
The fraud is more than theoretical. It actually cost black lives. More were killed after the BLM riots of 2020 than the year prior. Over 2,000 more African-Americans were killed in 2020 than the year prior. And this during COVID, when you weren't supposed to be out and about frolicking. At least not in the cities where the bulk of this violence took place. You know, the major cities governed by the likes of your Chesa Bodines or London Breeds or Lori Lightfoots. Now, unfortunately, Michael Schellenberger did not make it in his candidacy for governor yesterday, but I suspect we've not heard the last from him, and I hope we have not. He, a former employee of the Soros Foundations and Maxine Waters, writes this, quote, It is hard to find a city in America whose residents say they care about black lives more than San Francisco. Two weeks after Donald Trump was elected president in 2016, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors affirmed in a resolution that black lives matter. In response to a police officer's killing in George Floyd in 2020, more than 1,000 San Franciscans marched under the banner of Black Lives Matter. And later that same year, San Francisco Mayor London Breed promised to defund the police and spend the money to save black lives. And yet, For a city that says it cares so much about black lives, it's hard to find a city that does a poor job of caring for them. Two weeks ago, Schellenberger writes, I checked in on a black man in his early 30s named Corey Gibson, who I had discovered living in a nest of garbage in the south of Market neighborhood. Corey suffers debilitating pain and smokes fentanyl and meth during much of the day. When I arrived, I discovered a young, naked and psychotic woman, black woman wrapped in a dirty blanket lying just a few feet away from him. I don't doubt that progressives feel sympathy toward Corey, the young mentally ill woman, and other black people experiencing homelessness in San Francisco. Research suggests that politically liberal and progressive people express, in general, greater compassion toward the misfortune than do more politically conservative intellectuals. San Francisco spends an astonishing $1 billion per year on about 10,000 homeless individuals who are disproportionately black. And yet, progressives aren't caring properly for mentally ill and drug-addicted homeless people of any color. The government of nations like the Netherlands, Portugal, Switzerland, which progressives have for decades held up as a model nation or model nations when it comes to drug policy and health care, do not allow mentally ill and drug addicts to use hard drugs publicly, camp anywhere, and steal hundreds of dollars of goods monthly with no consequence. Nor do they allow naked psychotic women to become vulnerable to sexual violence on their sidewalks. It's not like progressive San Francisco officials don't know what's happening. The San Francisco Department of Health estimated three years ago that 4,000 of San Francisco's homeless have a history of both serious mental illness and substance abuse. And of those 4,000, said San Francisco Mayor London Breed in 2019, 35% are African-American despite the fact that we have less than 6% of the of despite the fact that we have less than 6% population of African-Americans in San Francisco, close quote. Schellenberger concludes, the change that is required to save black lives has less to do with overcoming racism and policing and more to do with overcoming pseudoscience and progressivism. If we truly care about the lives being lost on the streets, we need to persuade our fellow citizens, not just that the lives of addicts and the untreated mentally ill matter, but also that many of them can only be saved by police officers arresting them. Folks, if we want to embrace and support and do more for victims, I'm all for it. It's about time. I've been in favor of criminal victims' rights for a long time. 
But the victims we should be caring about are those who are not the criminals or the criminals feigning victim status as they stalk the rest of society. Or the ideological criminals who have foisted victim status on the dangerous and the aggressive, turning once great cities into ever-expanding no-travel and no-go zones and no-civil or innocent-life zones. It's a huge problem, and we should get ready to see more of it. As the defeat of Boudin is not the end of the matter, London Breed appoints his replacement, and an election will be held again in November there. A city with 6% registered Republicans. 6%. Huge problem. And as these lives and cities are laid to waste, as violent crime is up along with the price of everything else from gas to food and a shortage of baby formula and not to forget illegal immigration, the Democrats will be featuring a hearing hearing in prime time to blame President Trump for a speech he gave two and a half years ago that was attended by absolutely nothing like what happens in San Francisco every single day day or too many other major cities in america you lay traps for me says the duke of norfolk in a man for all seasons thomas more replies no i show you the times Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth, and if you are looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They're offering a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10 and a quarter percent for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm run by really good people who are doing really well helping others, and you can be too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Local company. They won't give you a sales pitch, I promise. They're just happy to be talking about what they do and let it speak for itself, and they do great. Investyrefi.com. We're going to have former federal prosecutor Jim Trusty on Uh, with us uh, in a few moments in the next segment. I want to talk to him more about the role district attorneys play uh, in uh, solving or exacerbating the rising violent crime problems in America, particularly what's going on in California, some of our other big cities as well. And if we are seeing a repeat of something that was taking place in the 90s, it's interesting in the night. You know, I hear it's Bill. It's Dennis Prager who, isn't it? Doesn't he often talk about? Um, he talks about big cities being a problem, and 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 the big cities have become a problem, but not because of the fact that they're big. You know, Chicago was always a big city. Philadelphia was always a big city. San Francisco wasn't as big as any of all that, but it was considered a major city. It's not because of the size or the buildings or the corporations that move there. And it's not because of the people. It's because of the people's ideas. You know, there were a few no-go political areas for conservatives that ended up um, costing our country and our movement a lot. One of them was education. 
We stayed out of college and we ignored elementary and secondary. In college, we said, oh, the kids will get over it once they graduate. They didn't. In elementary and secondary, we just assumed the kids were all right and the teachers were okay too. They weren't and they weren't. That has caused a lot of problems. When it came to cities, municipal and urban policy, those weren't places we did a lot in either until or unless it was a situation in extremists like New York City. Why is it that when you think about all the big city mayors that we used to read about and learn about when we were growing up, you know, leaders of your your dailies and you know, the New York City mayors. What, what, why, why do we not hear about mayors in our lifetime very much? Maybe one, but only one. Go ahead, Bill. Say it with me. Yeah, it's the only mayor people can really think of as having, you know, some kind of national imprint or an imprint on the national mind. And, and why is that? Well, he was a reaction in New York City to what... Mayor Dinkins did, which is effectively the same kind of stuff that we've been seeing in San Francisco and what all the mayors are replicating now. And Julie came in and he show, he proved the theoretical with the actual. He showed you actually could govern these cities. New York was deemed ungovernable. He showed that with common sense and uh, comp stat, you could actually do it. You had to make sure that the crimes the left wants to ignore, the low-level crimes, you have to ensure that those don't go unprosecuted or unarrested. I was, uh, I was listening to a, a gun violence expert on the Corolla show uh, two weeks ago after Uvalde, a uh, professor, I want to say, at one of the major universities, University of Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. And he was ta- – I don't think he was a conservative. I, th- there aren't many professors at the University of Michigan who are that we wouldn't know of, right? And he was talking about one of the findings in his research is that when you let areas become zones where crime can be tolerated or where houses have boards on the outside with no habitation, or you have large air, tracts of land that are just overgrown and pollute and, and, and trash vehicles, trash centers. When you have those kinds of things, you know, the minor crimes that Giuliani was enforcing, you say when you have those kinds of things, it attracts crime. It attracts crime to a city. It brings it. We knew of this as the broken windows theory of policing that Skilling, that uh, George Skelling developed with J- uh, James Q. Wilson. Giuliani deployed it, fixed it, and then he became almost a national hero after 9-11. But he was known before 9-11 because of what he did with crime. Think about how much we've neglected the Giuliani lessons in our major cities and let the cities become like the elementary, secondary, and college classrooms. There's a line in an old Dirty Harry movie. You have a sociology degree. I hope it doesn't get you killed. That's what Dirty Harry says to his partner.
Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth, and it is a uh, privilege and honor to welcome back to the show. You see him on Fox News often. You've heard him here before. James Trusty, Jim Trusty, is a partner at the IFRA Law Firm. He is a former federal po- prosecutor and uh, the former head of the uh, Department of Justice Criminal Division. And I wanted to get him on to talk about some of the things we were talking about in the previous segments. Um, and the role of prosecutors, Jim... Uh, elected and non, the role of prosecutors um, and their abilities or I don't know if you want to call it nonfeasance or misfeasance in being responsible for some of the violent crime that we're seeing uh, rise across the nation. Obviously, ground zero for this debate was in San Francisco over the last 24 hours or so. But I guess my first question to you and your career, you've been a career prosecutor, you're now in the private sector, but I guess my question to you is how much do these elected uh, prosecutors, these elected county and district attorneys and state's attorneys general have to do with how much crime rises or doesn't in a community? Is it more the police? Is it more the prosecutor? Uh, you know, that's a great question because it's pretty difficult, uh, and I would say it's, a, it's obviously a combination. I, I think to the point of where we're going, the, the time where the prosecutor can make a tremendous difference to what's going on in their community is when they bring really radical concepts to the job. I mean, the, the primary responsibility of any prosecutor, and I was a state prosecutor for 10 years before I was federal, mm-hmm. is community safety. And, of course, the tricky part is how do you best affect community safety? You know, what are the, the philosophies you bring to bear to kind of keep people safe? And that's what we're seeing with these these outliers, these progressive prosecutors, is a desire to bring kind of radical change to the criminal justice system. And I do think that brings with it a lot of culpability for what's happening in the street. Thanks for that. Uh, I appreciate that. And I'm going to circle back to a part of that uh, in a moment, if I can. One of the things I was reading in a, uh, I think it was a Wall Street Journal write-up from a couple weeks ago is when the DA who was ousted in San Francisco, Chesa uh, Bodin, uh, ran for office, he promised not to prosecute cases that he called quality of life crimes. Um, I think of that as homeless camps in the streets, prostitution, obstructing sidewalks, public, you know, using the public uh, streets for your bathrooms. These quality of life crimes, uh, Jim, your sense of what it means not to prosecute them, does that not kind of run counter to some of what we learned when Giuliani was mayor and they were working off the Jim Wilson and, and George Skelling theories of, of, of policing? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, this is the flip side of broken windows. Mm-hmm. And, and what the, the academics and what the hardcore kind of liberal reformers want to do is rewrite what the issue is when it comes to broken windows. The broken windows philosophy of policing and prosecuting was not lock everybody up and put them in prison. You know, there, there's not these you know troglodyte uh, prosecutors running around the country trying to put everyone in jail for every offense. The idea was to instill respect for rule of law. It was not that you're going to lock everybody up, but you're going to clean up the graffiti. You're going to fix the broken window. You're going to treat those quality-of-life crimes as serious offenses. So word gets out that this is a community that respects the rule of law. And so conversely, when we have these these write-offs where people say, well, we're not going to worry about simple theft under $1,000, well, it shouldn't be a surprise that you see groups of people busting into jewelry shops 
and stealing, you know, $900 each worth of jewelry. I mean, there is a cause and effect when it comes to the message to the community about respect for law and order. And that's what we're seeing, you know, in L.A., in San Francisco, Chicago, New York, uh, St. Louis. It's these social experiments that send the message to the public that it's okay to break certain laws because we're going to turn a blind eye. It's almost as if the progressive DAs or the progressive uh, the progressive thought in fighting crime here, it's almost as if they look around at what has worked to solve crime and they and, and, and they say, OK, we're going to do the opposite. But crime isn't our major issue. Something else is, whether it's uh, some misplaced form of compassion or some kind of misplaced notion of what a victim is. I, I have to take a quick commercial break, Jim. Can you stay one more segment? We can get into a little bit of that, too. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Delighted that you can do that. Uh, Jim Trustee is our guest, former federal and state prosecutor, former head of the Department of Justice's Criminal Division. He is a partner at the IFRA law firm, IFRAHlaw.com. I'm Seth. He's Jim. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm Seth. My guest is Jim Trustee, James M. Trustee. He's a partner at the IFRA Law Firm and a former federal state prosecutor, former head of the Department of Justice's Criminal Division. Jim, we're talking about crime in these uh, big cities, the rising crime. I kind of I look at what Giuliani and the team did in New York City uh, in, the, in, the, in the late 90s, and they they took these theories that you and I were discussing the Skelling and Ju- Wilson theories. They applied Comstat. They kind of took um, the the uh, theoretical and proved it with their actual. They actually did solve crime in an amazing way in New York City. Uh, and and it's almost as if this new this new uh, version of prosecutors uh, that can be you know exampled by what we've seen in San Francisco, other cities. One is threatening to run in Phoenix. <laughs> um, it's almost as if they looked at all of that and said, no, we're going to take the theoretical because we don't care about those results. We don't care about that actual. It's almost as if they cared about something else other than solving crime. That may be too hard or too harsh. What do you think? It's not feeling too harsh to me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really what I would say is, you know, these are these are largely academic. These are people, and not that that's a dirty word, but they don't have <laughs> It is to me. Okay, we're each on. We're each on. Okay, go ahead. All right. well, I, I, I have a part-time job at University of Maryland, so I'm trying not to get fired. Well, it's college. not true of any school in Maryland. That's the, I do have that caveat. Okay, yeah. Excellent carve-out. Good save. <laughs> but, uh yeah, I mean, look, they come at it with a kind of a social justice mentality that's not data-driven, it's not experience-driven. They may have experience, like in Philadelphia, with the ACLU suing the police, or right. maybe as a public defense. I think Kimberly uh, Fox in Chicago might have been a PD for yeah. a while. Yeah. But, but you know, what, what that breeds is a whole series of really pro- uh, serious problems that may not be immediately present to the public. I mean, the first thing is, when you bring in somebody that's got this kind of misplaced ideology that, that assumes that everyone was hideously stupid, racist, clumsy, whatever, yeah. then you drive out a lot of the experienced career prosecutors that serve the office as well. I mean, Chicago is a is an exhibit A for that, where anyone that had been there for a long time that knew how to try to navigate the, the pretty overburdened system in Cook County left uh, when Kimberly Fox came in. 
And what happens is the ideologues replace the, the experienced career prosecutors with more ideologues, which just compounds the problem. The other thing that you start to see, we saw this vividly with uh, Los Angeles recently with the woman in her stroller that got run over mm-hmm. and, and the incredibly soft treatment by Garcon, the, the progressive DA there, is they, they have such self-righteousness about the approach that they'll say almost anything to justify it. And in that case, Garcon publicly ran out and said, no, 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 the sheriff's office for Los Angeles is in agreement with us. This was the right treatment. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff was like, we had nothing to do with this yep. case, nor do we have this conversation. And you're left with Garcon kind of quietly muttering, okay, maybe I made that part up. So there's, there's really kind of a dishonesty that's coming to boot. We saw this with Kimberly Fox, how she handled Jesse Smollett's case, how she complained about being recused when she had no business cutting the midnight deal she tried to cut with him. And we see this with L.A. and with San Francisco. So that's a huge problem. And I think the other thing, just to mention real quick, is that it all breeds divorce with local law enforcement. You know, the, the law enforcement people, a lot of them have, have spent their careers rising through the ranks to be chiefs or assistant chiefs of their department. You know, they need and expect to have a very symbiotic, productive relationship with the prosecutors. doesn't mean they agree on every point every time. They can have serious disagreements. But they have to have a working respect, a working uh, desire to work things out for their community. And we're seeing huge rifts in all these places, Philly, New York, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, where law enforcement immediately is saying, what are you doing with these cases? You're not serving the primary function of protecting the public, and we don't want any part of that. That's a, that's a troublesome rift that these guys are creating all around the country. Boy, Jim, that was that was articulate. That was well. That was well said, uh, Jim. I um I think we might be around the same age. I think we are roughly. And I remember growing up. Twenty six. Huh? You're twenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a year older. And uh, so we grew up in the same generation. <laughs> and that, what I recall was there were a handful, not many more, but there were a handful of criminal prosecutors across the country. Someone like Linda Fairstein in Philadelphia comes to mind, maybe, um, that were kind of well known for actually rolling up their sleeves and getting really tough on crime and becoming kind of a national model and setting up uh, models for, you know, how D.A.'s county's attorney uh, can run their offices and save their cities, save their communities. Uh, You know, it just seems to me that class of general prosecutor is either not trained anymore not around much anymore or not respected i don't know which it is and maybe my memory's wrong but i seem to remember it that way and i just don't see it around much now yeah i think that's a fair point i mean i think there's a lot of you know career prosecutors who've been kind of chased out of the business Mm -hmm. uh for reasons i know there was one in northern virginia a good friend of mine who was, you know, very tough on the right kind of cases, right? She, If she thought you were involved in violence and hurting people, you know, she was going to do everything to personally convict you, and she did a great job with that. She got replaced by a progressive prosecutor under Soros, even though she had things like teen court, veterans court, drug court. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Even really tough prosecutors kind of know how to call the shot. Yeah. They have the judgment experience to say, hey, this is not a case where we should spend a bunch of resources locking people up. But they still have a general respect for law enforcement and for rule of law, and that's what's being abandoned. I mean, I guess we're seeing it all the way through even very serious violent crimes now, this kind of differential soft treatment. 
But with a lot of the prosecutors that you and I kind of grew up with, there was regularity and predictability. And even if you disagreed on how harsh or how light a particular case went, you knew it was being meted out in an even-handed fashion, yeah. regardless of policy, race, or whatever else. And, and that seems to be in play now. That seems to be you know, kind of a national issue of whether certain classes of people are going to get treated differently because of their race or their economic status or, or maybe more to the point with federal prosecutions, politics, the political strike. Jim, last question. Do you see San Francisco's vote uh, as a uh, template or as a sign, a harbinger of uh, more and more people taking this issue seriously because things have gotten so bad? Or, or do, you, do you sense in this country, maybe even in your community, uh, uh, you know, a retract, you know, a, a, a snapback to all these progressive criminal prosecution policies? I, I think and hope so. I mean, okay. it, maybe it's a little bit of pendulum swinging back yeah. towards the middle. Yeah. But, you know, hey, San Francisco is not exactly a conservative bastion. Right. And for them to, to get rid of this guy makes me think that uh, Garcon's got some issues and, uh, you know, perhaps even in New York there's some issues. So uh, I think, you know, community safety strikes a chord in people of almost every political stripe. And when it's extreme, like we're seeing with these progressive prosecutors, it, it can uh, make strange bedfellows. People can come together and try to oust them. Jim Trusty, thank you so much. He is a member at the IFRA law firm, com, And uh, it's been too long, buddy. I'm glad you're uh, we're in touch and uh, we'll be calling you again soon if that's okay. That sounds great. We'll do it again. Thanks, you betcha. Man. Thank you, Jim. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good folks at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is the website. The product is their fruits and veggies, which I take every day. 100% pure, potent plant power. It's exactly what it is. There is nothing else there. It's 100% natural, not 99 and 44th, 100. 100%. Take it every day. Boost your health. Boost your immunity. Boost your energy. It's uh, my favorite product I've ever taken, balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Just to wrap up this hour, thinking about crime, you know, a lot of us were defending the notion of policing and the importance of it for the past several years in a way that was odd because who thought we would have to have an entire movement dedicated to um, defending that which young boys and young boys and girls, in a sense, used to grow up wanting to be. They used to like to play things like cops and robbers. You know that's outlawed now on most school grounds? Can't do that anymore. Can't play cops and robbers. Cops who were deemed once upon a time as heroes, police as heroes, solving crime, a heroic thing, that's been downgraded and denigrated. So when we talk about what I talked about in my opening monologue, who raised the district attorney that decided to turn San Francisco into a socialist progressive experiment that helped take a city on the ruin and sink it lower? The culture did. The culture did. Let's hope it's not too late to turn it around. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. Class is now dismissed.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.